And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Paul. Team. In days gone by, when I used to do weddings, which I don't do anymore, I used to invest a great deal of time in the premarital counseling because I figured it is of vital importance to invest this time and to make sure that the couple understand what they're doing. And if um, there's one thing I sought to do is to bring the couple to reality. Um, I thought to help them think realistically and look beyond that emotional high which they are on when they just fall in love. And tell them about what the experience of marriage is like. Now, some of them probably, they didn't tell me that, but probably they call me killjoy. Or spoiler. And I think if they did, they'll be absolutely correct. <laughs> I make no bones about it. The most important issues that I would emphasize over and over and over again is that each of them are bringing into the marriage some old baggage from their childhood all the way up to that point. Beloved, but in all relationships, we bring our old baggage with us. It doesn't matter whether it be in marriage, in family, in church, wherever we are. Oh, but I know some of us travel light and <laughs> like to carry, carry on baggage. <laughs> some like to bring suitcases. Now, I used to tell the couple that I wish, I wish that there is a button that you press and uh, all of the past baggages can be erased. I wish, but that was wishful thinking, but reminded them again, that is not possible. Scientists tell us that what children learn growing up is like a metal needle engraving on a steel plate. It stays there forever. It can never be erased. Now, some of these engravings are wonderful. They are positive. Uh, that's the godly moms and dads that I know in this church, and what they're doing, they are engraving wonderful things about loving God and loving the Word of God and memorizing the Scripture. And I'm just so thankful for that. But some of these engravings, uh, particularly in older generation, is negative and not positive. And therefore, it takes an absolute commitment and surrender to the Holy Spirit of God to slowly but surely blunt these negative and destructive programmings. It takes an absolute commitment and faith in the power of God to let go of these negative uh, buildups. Uh, it takes a total surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to learn how to major on the majors and minor on the minors. It takes a dogged determination to allow the transforming power of God to help us to love the other person and overlook the baggage. Can I get an amen? 
Now hear me right on this one. Because this principle does not only apply to marriage, it applies to all relationships. All relationships within the family, church, whatever they may be. And that is why the best place to start, and that's what I love to do and I do with young parents when they bring the baby to be baptized and I interview them ahead of time. The best place to start is, is the beginning in bringing up godly children and in, in, in bringing up spiritually healthy children. The future spouses will thank you for it. But how do you do this? Well, by parents choosing, listen to me carefully, by parents choosing not to nitpick on their children. And all the children said, Amen. <laughs> when we, as parents, choose to fight on every hill, we lose the battle. But we, we as parents, prioritize the issues in life. Choose the hills in which we are ready to fight. When we as parents choose to overlook the minor issues instead of focusing uh, on them and then leave out the major issues or muddle, muddle the major and the minor and they grow up not knowing which is which. This is, my beloved, the one thing that I'm standing here to testify to you that I have tried, and the emphasis here is on tried. Did y'all get that? Tried to do. Now, I'm not always successful, but I tried. Let me give you an example. Back in 1993, Joshua was, was not quite 15 yet. And he and I were in a car. I'm picking him up from somewhere. <coughs> and we're driving, and when he gets quiet, I know that he's about to ask me something. So he got quiet, and then all of a sudden he said, Dad, see, yeah, waiting for that. Can I shave my head? <laughs> well, without a moment hesitation, I said to him, Only if I shave it. And he kind of got over the shock. I mean, literally, was, 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 was almost in a state of shock. <laughs> and all he could say is, Cool. And I remember. <laughs> Very distinctly. I remember exactly where we were. We were passing some of the old timers. Remember, service merchandised has gone out of business now, but it used to be all over Atlanta. And we were uh, driving near service merchandise, and I made a U-turn, and I walked in there with him into service merchandise, and I bought one of those shears, you know, <laughs> the electric shears, and then came home, and man, I put a chair in the garage. And I loved it. Bzzz. I went through that baby. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun. His mother kept saying, oh, he's going to lose his curls. I said, who cares about the curls? <laughs> What he had forgotten, that it was winter. <laughs> And his head was getting cold. <laughs> So he began to wear a bandana just to keep his head warm. Well, he wore that red bandana for several weeks until the hair started growing. And, and among other things, he was wearing it in church. 
Well, <laughs> that didn't settle well with a lady in the church. A lady whom I've never seen before and I have never seen since. <laughs> so she walked up to me and she said, well, well, I guess your son is going through this rebellious stage. Well, to be quite honest, I had forgotten and I wasn't thinking. And I said, what did he do now? I, I truthfully did not know what she's talking about. She said, well, she said, this shaving of the head and wearing the bandana, these are the sign of rebellion. I said, really? But I did that. <laughs> I mean, she was ashened. And she, all she could say is, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> and disappeared. I've never seen her again. God bless her, whatever she may be. <laughs> Beloved, listen to me. If the Apostle Paul is saying one thing in Romans 14, it is this. Listen carefully. He is pleading with believers to major on the majors and minor on the minors. Focus on what's important to God. Focus on the heart, not the outward appearance. Stop wasting your energy on that which is not necessary for salvation. Uh, stop your pity arguments over things that are not scriptural, things that have nothing to do with holy and righteous living, things that has nothing to do with spiritual development and growth in the spiritual life, things that have nothing to do with the heart and loving God with all of your heart. Can I get an Amen. Here's my understanding of what Paul is trying to say here. What is he saying here? Not trying to say, but what's he saying here in Romans 14? Just as in my experience in sharing with the premarital counseling uh, for those who come into marriage with baggage, the same thing happens in a church. The same thing. Most of us, when we come to Christ, uh, we come to church and we bring our pre-Christian life, our pre-Christian baggage into the church. Uh, in the church, these issues are less intense as they are in a marriage because, thank God, we don't live together. Uh, I tell you, if you live with me, you probably wouldn't show up at church. <laughs> but just to be sure, I want everybody to listen to me, just to be sure, that no one will misunderstand me. If you choose to misunderstand me, that's your business, but I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not talking about the people who are bringing their blatant sin into the church. That's not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about people who want the church to accept their blatant sin and immorality and call it just difference of opinion. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that are not necessary for salvation, not necessary for righteous and holy living. I'm talking about clothes and food and drink. I'm talking about matters of Christian liberty. That's what Paul is saying, and that's what I'm amplifying. Now, the church that I grew up in, some of you have heard me talk about that. The church that I grew up in, my childhood, boyhood, where I used to hear the preacher all the time say, Thou shall not smoke, 
Thou shalt not drink. Thou shalt not play cards. Thou shalt not go to the cinema. What if Jesus returns and you are in the cinema? <laughs> to this day, at 70, I'm still afraid that Jesus is going to come back and I won't see the end of the movie. <laughs> My wife would tell you, <laughs> I'm still, you know, a steel needle. So much so that I honestly began to argue with one of my friends who was gracious and, and wonderful and loving, but I was arguing with him, and he was such a patient person, and, and, and I said, the Bible said this. The Bi- it's in the Bible. And he would just lovingly would say, Michael, it's not in the Bible. Michael, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> and thankfully, he put me straight because I, th- I honestly thought they were in the Scripture somewhere. Now, I know these are not burning issues today. I know that. I know they're not burning issues, but I'm giving them as an example, a personal example, so you understand what is important, what is not. (laughs) It is important for us, my beloved friends, and it's a plea of the Apostle Paul, is that we be able to distinguish what is contrary to the Scripture and what is not. Are you with me? We live in a time when there are so many evangelical pastors who have placed blatant sin in the same category as Christian liberty like food and drink. They do. Uh, Today, we have churches that have accepted Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims uh, and remain in their religion, but they can become Christians as well. It's called the insider movement. (laughs) Uh, We have churches that have acquiesced to the pressure of society and accepted homosexual marriage to be equal to that of heterosexual marriage, which the Bible is very clear about, even if it's the law of the land. That's because uh, abortion is the law of the land that we have to do it. Are you with me? Now, these churches twist the words of the Scripture found in other places and here in 14, and and, and they say that these immoral issues, just a matter of preference, Uh, that these immoral sins, (laughs) just a matter of life uh, choices, lifestyle. Uh, These unbiblical choices are issues of Christian liberty. And that's why I'm trying so hard to make sure you don't misunderstand me when I'm talking and expounding on the Word of God. Now, we can distinguish between what is absolutely biblical injunction and what is not. And that is why now more than ever, listen to me, listen to me, more than ever, it's the biggest burden of my heart for, 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 for recently and for the years to come. It's the biggest burden of that we need to be discerners, not drifters. And that is why now more than ever, we need to learn to be biblically accurate, and that biblical teaching is non-negotiable. Let me summarize Romans 14 under three headings so that we can kind of get our arms around this. First of all, in verses 1 to 4, Paul is saying, don't sweat the small stuff, but, immediately, but, and but is very important here. In verses two, uh, 5 to 12, he is saying, be patient in helping the weaker Christian. Finally, verses 13 to 23, 
He says, keep your focus on the big picture. Keep your focus on the big picture. Don't sweat the small stuff, verses, but, verses 1 to 4. I know management gurus can come to your company or institution or organization and charge you big bucks just to tell you this. Keep your eye on the main goal of, main goal of your... Uh, look, you're getting it for free today, okay? <laughs> no big bucks here. And this is not me. 2,000 years ago, that's what the Apostle Paul, Paul said. It's the Word of God that says that. But Paul immediately, after saying this, he said, but. I'm going to explain. That's very important. See, in the early church, particularly in the city of Rome, Corinth as well, but Rome particularly, um, the Jews who were converted to Christ, the Gentiles who converted to Christ, they came and they joined the church, and they brought with them their pre-Christian marriage life. Pre-Christian marriage. Pre-Christian life, not marriage. Uh, I got carried away with the premarital counseling. But, you see, Jews wanted to keep on eating kosher meat. And Paul said, that's fine. Uh, Gentiles were buying cheap meat because the meat that was offered to idol was very cheap, so you can buy it cheaply. Meanwhile, there were believers from among the Jews and the Gentiles who understood very quickly that they are free in Christ regarding food and drink and these things that are not necessary for salvation. Those whom the Paul calls strong Christians. You with me? So they began to see people who were sweating the small stuff, <laughs> uh, to be inferior. They are the weak Christians. Not only that, but the strong were flaunting their liberty in Christ. They were flaunting it. They were showing it to everybody. Let me repeat. <laughs> that so there will be no misunderstanding. This is not flaunting immorality that the churches are flaunting today and calling it liberty or minor issues. No. These strong Christians in Rome were flaunting things that are totally unnecessary for salvation. It is totally unnecessary for righteous living and holy living. But nonetheless, the Apostle Paul sees how the small stuff can fester uh, and become a big stuff and then can destroy the church. That's what his concern here is all about. And that is why I'm only telling you what Paul is saying and not giving my opinion. When I give my opinion, I tell you about it ahead of time. He's saying it is not good to sweat the small stuff, but if the small stuff bothers the conscience of the weaker believer, don't do it. For Christ's sake, don't do it. It's not a big deal. When it comes to a walk with God, the strong must be seen as not offending the weak. Uh, the mature believer must be sure that he or she is not riding roughshods over the immature. The liberated believer needs to be patient with the weak ones. Let me explain this. In days gone by, legalistic churches taught that smoking is, 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 is going to affect your salvation. Smoking will affect your salvation. Now, 
Even the pagans are saying smoking is not good for you. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Christian. <laughs> now, if a believer smokes and he is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not going to affect his salvation or going to heaven. It may get him to heaven much sooner. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> in the same way about drinking alcohol. It's not going to affect a believer's salvation. It might give you a cirrhosis of the liver if it's an excess drinking and get you to heaven sooner too. Alcohol might begin a process of addiction and create stronghold in a believer and it leads to drunkenness, which is a sin, but will not affect salvation. I know some people are going to take an issue with me. I know that. I know that. But that's okay. I've been, prepared. I've been preparing for it all week. <laughs> Listen, the list can go on and on and on. Vegetarians look down upon those who eat red meat and vice versa. Seen it both ways. <laughs> Charismatics look down upon reformed people and vice versa. Seen it both ways. Uh, some view style of worship to be absolutely of uttermost importance, um, and this causes people to kind of uh, look down on each other over that issue. Beloved, if it is not necessary for salvation, if it is not vital for your Christian walk and righteous living, you need to be flexible. Our salvation is not dependent on these things. Listen, listen, listen. Why? Simply because when you come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance and you receive his death upon the cross to be your death, when you come in repentance and faith and believe, you have been transformed from death to life. And the Bible said, therefore, now there is no condemnation upon those who are in where? Christ Jesus. Listen, I have seen Christians all over the world pointing fingers. My goodness gracious. I mean, I've seen it in every culture and every place that I preach, and I've probably preached at least in 23 countries. And, and they're just, you know, always pointing fingers. Here's something that I always endeavor to do personally. Listen to me carefully. This is my personal testimony. When I am taking on some erroneous biblical teaching, some erroneous teaching from the Scripture uh, by certain individuals. I stay away from names and personalities because I have nothing against those individuals, many of them I don't know. Listen, oh, you can be sure, and you know this, I will face the error head on. I will name the error. I will refute the error, but I leave the person's name out. That's just my way of understanding the Scripture. Now, somebody afterward comes to me and privately asks me, I'll give him a name. <laughs> but these are issues of biblical truth, as my friend Doug calls it, truth with a capital T. <laughs> it's not Christian liberty. I was thinking about judgmentalism and squabbling over matters. Uh, they're kind of pointing to people's faults and shortcomings. And I thought of that husband. Actually, they were an elderly couple, and the husband was convinced that his wife is having hearing problem. So he brings a chair on the other side of the room, not facing him, but behind him. She cannot see him. And he whispered, can you hear me? Didn't hear anything, so he came closer. Can you hear me? 
Didn't hear anything. Then he came closer still. Can you hear me? No response. Finally, he came very close to her ear and said, can you hear me? And to his uttermost amazement and chagrin, she yelled out, and she said, for the fourth time, I said, yes. (laughs) 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 Poor guy. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Don't sweat the small stuff, but... Secondly, be patient with those who are weak in the faith. What Paul is saying here, he is saying that two people may disagree over matters that are not really important for salvation. It's not going to affect their salvation. Uh, And yet, they both are right before God. It's in the Scripture. I'm not making it up. (laughs) Read it in the text. Let me give you an example from yesteryears. I don't want to give modern example because that would be too bad. But let me give you an example from history because both men went to be with the Lord now a long time ago. In the city of London, there were two prominent evangelical preachers. Uh, Both uh, pastored a very significant, flourishing, Bible-believing churches. Dr. Joseph Parker and Charles Spurgeon. Most of you know Charles Spurgeon, but you don't know about Joseph Parker. Uh, Dr. Parker thought that Spurgeon was not spiritual because he smoked a cigar. And Spurgeon thought Dr. Parker is not spiritual because he went to theater. And you know what the media did? I mean, the media, of course, love this. It, it, that, uh, that, that stuff got out in the media. It was in the newspapers, front page, because the media loved to see Christians squabbling, especially over some silly things. Here's a principle that I endeavor to follow. And when you hear me say the word endeavor or try, you must fully immediately go to understand that I haven't always been successful. As a matter of fact, I'm conscious of the fact that I made my fair share of mistakes. This is not false humility, it's the absolute truth. And I'm conscious of them. In my younger years, I was not only extremely judgmental, but I used sarcasm in my judgmentalism, from which I deeply regret. Here's my testimony now. Listen carefully. Here's my testimony now. If the Lord convicts me of not doing something, even if every single preacher and every single believer is doing it, I don't do it. Why? Because the Lordship of Jesus Christ is paramount to me. I don't have to do what others do if the Lord convicts me of not doing it. Years ago, I heard this axiom, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. 
I have emphasized this majoring on the major. Just about for all the years I've been pastoring you. Just about all the years. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine was giving a lecture. He's a doctor. He was giving a lecture somewhere in a large group of, of, of sales, medicine salespeople in North Carolina. And he said something about, my pastor says, major on the majors. He said, there's a whole line of people came from all, they came from all over the United States. They said, you go to the Church of the Apostles. <laughs> he said, we heard Michael on radio say that. So I hope you hearing it too, not just people on radio land. <laughs> and I pray to God that we will stay focused on the kingdom of God and his righteousness until Jesus comes back. Beloved, I literally dedicated my life on the promise of Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I stacked everything in life on that promise. And I'm here to say to you that God keeps his promise. When he says, all these things be added to you, I didn't realize how incredible, overwhelming these things can be. What a blessing of God. Don't sweat the small stuff, but be patient in helping those who are weak in the faith. Thirdly, keep your focus on the big picture. Keep your focus on the big picture. When our eyes are focused on the truth, again, this is the truth. Doug calls the truth with a capital T. When our eyes are focused on the truth of the gospel, we will not have a space in our lives or time to criticize others regarding non-essentials. When our eyes are focused on the glory of Jesus, we will not waste our time focusing on social habits of others. When our eyes are focused on pleasing the Lord above everything else in life, we will not be spending time concerned about clothing or drinking or food or all that stuff. Look at verses 16 and 17 of Romans 14. Don't allow what you consider to be good to be spoken of as evil. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? I don't do this very often, but somehow today I'm kind of focusing a little bit on my own personal experience, the good and the bad. I'm testifying to the Lord's glory. This is my personal opinion now. My personal experience, having pastored on two continents, I have never, listen carefully, I have never found a person with a critical spirit to be a joyful or peaceful person. I have not seen it. A busybody who's constantly concerning themselves with what others are wearing and eating and doing is never joyful. A person who makes a big deal regarding traditional matters is never a contented person. Dwight Talmage said, without exception, the people who have the greatest number of faults are themselves the most merciless in their criticism of others. 
Dr. M.I. DeHaan, some of you might remember him from days gone by, said that it is dead giveaway when you meet a person who's always criticizing and finding fault with others, 99 times out of 100, he is trying to divert attention from his own sin and pointing the finger on others' non-sin. There are even who even get carried away that they think more righteous than our Lord. You know, I've met people like that. Story I told not long ago, it's bare repeating. It was during the reign of Queen Victoria. And as always, the royals go to Scotland in the summer. It was a very hot day in Scotland where she was at that moment at Balmoral Castle. And on a Sunday afternoon, it was extremely hot. She decided to go down with her staff, and they get on the boat, and they go on the lake, and they were rowing around. And there the crowd began to build up. And one lady looked to the guy next to her. She recognized that he's a pastor. And she said to him, look, look, isn't that disgusting for the queen to get into the boat and let her stuff row her around on the Lord's day? Upon which the pastor said, he said, madam, do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus himself went to the Sea of Galilee in a boat on the Sabbath? She was so indignant and looked at him and said, two wrongs don't make it right. I have met somebody like that in years gone by. But there's something very important regarding those who flaunt their freedom. Please listen carefully. Don't miss this. You and I have the responsibility to ensure that our freedom is not causing others to stumble. Whatever form of freedom it may be for you, and may be different for you, and may be different for you, and different for me. If it is going to cause a weaker Christian to stumble, we are under obligation to forego it. You say, well, I don't want these legalistic, self-righteous people to get away with it. Well, do it for Jesus' sake, okay? Verse 21. Paul calls this beautiful behavior on the part of the strong Christian. Why? Why? Because it's free from arrogance. It is free from selfishness. It is full of selflessness. Because it means that my eyes are on the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus and not on my freedom. It is beautiful because it will not cause the weak Christian to fall into sin. Can I get an amen? I'm going to tell you this as I conclude. When couples, as I already talked about in the beginning, families or churches, when they waste their time, when they waste their energy, when they waste all, all that they have fighting each other over the non-significant things, over the non-essential for salvation things, it leaves them with no energy for the real enemy of their soul whom they really should be fighting to begin with, whom they need to be standing up uh, against to begin with. That's whom to be fleeing from temptation and standing, resisting the devil. The Bible said when you resist him, he's going to flee. And this is a true historic story that kind of illustrates what I'm trying to say. In 1750s, 
the British and the French were at war with each other in Canada. Admiral Phipps, he was the commander of the British fleet, was told to go and anchor uh, outside Quebec. He was given clear instructions, clear instructions, to wait for the British forces when they land, when they arrive, then to support them with attack from the cannon in the ship. Phipps' Navy arrived really early, and he was hanging around, was getting bored. And then he got irritated when he looked at the cathedral with some statues of the saints on that cathedral. And uh, in his kind of irritation, he said, let's shoot at these statues of the saints. Let's destroy them. And so the cannon, the big cannon in the, in the ship, began to shoot at these statues. And we don't know how, many, how much ammunition or how many of those statues of the saints were destroyed or knocked down. But when the land forces arrived, a signal was given to the admiral to attack, but he was of no help. He was of no help. Why? He emptied all his ammunition on the saints. <laughs> Beloved, let's not waste a single minute. Let's not waste an ounce of energy. Let's not waste our breath shooting and fighting the saints. Uh, let's turn our armors toward the enemy of your soul. Let's focus on Jesus, his kingdom, what is near and dear to his heart. Let's use all of our emanations <laughs> to defeat sin and temptation in our lives. And God will honor you because you have his promise. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus and in the power of his might. Holy Spirit, I thank you for authoring these words and for literally controlling the hands and the minds of the Apostle Paul as he pinned them down so that they can remain as true today on the 21st century as they were in the day he inspired by you, Holy Spirit, to write them down. May every person at the sound of my voice be ready to renew their covenant with you. Be ready to focus on you and your kingdom. Be ready to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else. For Jesus, you promised that you're going to meet all of our needs when we do that. Thank you, Father, that you have not only heard our prayers, but you already answered them because we are praying according to your will and in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Will you stand, prepare your hearts to coming to the Lord's table?